And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Monday edition of Bailout Week. And of course, this is now the the moment of truth. Of course, we've been talking about for months now that the Fed would continue to hike rates until they broke something. And now, well, they've broken something. Uh, On Friday, of course, uh, Silicon Valley Bank was basically put into receivership as higher interest rates led to a loss of collateral for the bank. And of course, as deposits were being withdrawn from the bank, the bank had to sell these, their collateral, their bonds that they had bought um, to meet those demands. Of course, this has started to fuel on itself as more and more demands for money came out of the bank. Now, this is something that, you know, a lot of people don't understand about the banking system. And, and you know, just a very simple little explanation here. You know, so if you deposit a dollar in the bank, the bank can then loan out money relative to that dollar. That's how the bank makes money. So out of your dollar deposit, they make loans to other people and they can loan basically up to almost 100%. So, so there used to be what was called fractional reserve banking. And of course, uh, over the last few years, the regulators have been trying to make things easier and easier for the banks, of course, as, as banks and Wall Street were demanding more flexibility with their deposits. And so they can loan out virtually a lot of this money. So just assuming for a moment that a bank loans out 90 cents on the dollar for every dollar that comes into the bank, that means that there's 10 cents, as an exa- just in, in this example, there's only 10 cents of money sitting in the bank to meet demand deposits. So when somebody comes in and says, hey, I want to take money out of my bank account, they say, okay, that's fine. I've got all these loans sitting out here creating this interest income that comes back into the bank. So as as customers show up and they want to take some money out to go on a trip or to buy a car, whatever it is, there's money that's coming in to meet those demand withdrawals, right? So it's all fine as long as nobody pushes the big red button. That's That's the big issue. So what has happened, of course, and this is the one thing that we've been warning about for some time, is that as the Fed hikes interest rates, there is an inverse relationship between bonds and interest rates. So as interest rates go up, bond prices go down. And so you have this basic seesaw example of what happens in the bond market. All these bonds that these banks were holding fell in value as the Fed was hiking interest rates. And so the Fed kept hiking interest rates very aggressively last year. The banks are sitting on all these debt security collateral that they were using, uh, that unused money or loans that were outstanding. And as the Fed hiked rates, the value of that collateral fell. In fact, there's about $650 billion right now in negative yielding bonds sitting in a reduced value of bonds, not negative yielding, I apologize, but a reduced value of those bonds. And so when all the, all the demand depositors for Silicon Valley Bank showed up and said, hey, I want my money right now. Well, the bank didn't have it because this was the problem with, this is the problem with fractional reserve banking. 
when you have a bank run. Of course, this is going to be an ongoing problem because now the Fed has continued to hike rates to the point that a lot of banks, especially regional banks that don't have access to investment uh, marketing, uh, you know, trading revenues, those type of things. You know, JP Morgan, they don't have a problem. Wells Fargo doesn't have a problem. Bank of America doesn't have a problem. And that's because they have invest investment banking revenue that they're doing. They've got trading market revenue, you know, the lending side of their business. And this is why JP Morgan doesn't pay you any interest on your cash deposits. They really don't want retail investors. They really don't want retail clients. They make so much money on their investment services, et cetera, that the retail side is kind of more of a nuisance. But for regional banks, that's where they make all their money from. So this is very important to them. And a lot of these banks around the country, these regional mid-side banks, have been suffering as the Fed hikes interest rates because it extracts liquidity from these banks. They have less liquidity. So in an event where there is some type of impact where everybody wants to show up, and again, this is the whole issue, which is a bank run, when everybody shows up at once and says, I want my money, your money's not there. This is the, this is the, the one flaw in fractional reserve banking, there is not enough money in the system. So over the weekend, the Fed, the Treasury, and of course the FDIC have all blinked. We are now starting the BTFP facilities today. Now, of course, no, that doesn't mean buy the freaking pivot. That's not what that means. It is bank term funding program. And what this allows banks to do is, let's say again, as I, as I was talking about a second ago, you have rising interest rates falling bond prices. So what the bank term funding program allows me to do is let's say that I have a hundred million dollars worth of bonds on my books that are now trading at a discount of 15% from the face value. So a hundred million dollars is now 850 million, uh, 885, sorry, 85 million dollars of books, of bonds, right? So I have less collateral in the bank. Well, I can now pledge that $85 million to the Fed at 100% of face value. So I actually get to borrow 100 cents on the dollar to use that for liquidity. That's what this bank term funding program is gonna do. So banks can now pledge these, this collateral to the Federal Reserve Treasury, get 100 cents in a loan for a year, and in the event that they can't pay that money back, the Treasury is also setting up a $25 billion bailout program on the other side of this to make sure that everybody is taken care of. So now, this is not technically a bailout. Bailouts back in 2008 protected the shareholders and the executives of the banks. This does not do that. It provides liquidity for the banks to protect them against bank runs that may occur. But this is very similar in what we saw with Bear Stearns back in early 2008 before the rest of the financial crisis unfolded later on down the road. But we remember back in 2008, Bear Stearns ran into trouble with their mortgage-backed securities uh, funds. They wound up getting sold off with help of the government, getting sold off to J.P. Morgan at the time, and that allowed that that dissolution of Bear Stearns from rocking the whole market. So this is a very similar type situation where we are now trying to resolve the issue with Silicon Valley Bank without disrupting the entire financial strata 
of regional banks across the country. So again, this is just getting started today, but market futures are pointing higher. On Friday, of course, we did take out the all-important 200-day moving average. We also broke through the rising trend line from the December lows. So this is going to be something very important to watch here. Markets are going to point up today because of this bailout. And again, markets are taking this bank term funding program as, oh, this is the pivot. And as we'll talk about after the break, rate hike expectations have now completely fallen off the cliff. All right, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest newsletter is out on the website. Of course, our blog post, all that's there for you as well. We'll talk more about what's going on in the markets and your money right after the break. can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show youtube channel has all our videos ready for your easy access now with the new and improved before the bell reports candid coffee and lunch and learn replays plus each day's radio show like technically speaking tuesday financial fitness friday and the latest analysis from lance roberts and michael Lebowitz. subscribe and bookmark our youtube channel for the real investment show or just click on the show links at real investmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show and welcome back to the show this morning so uh, again kind of uh, still a lot of things unfolding here um, over the weekend, of course, playing a little bit of catch up. And uh, I've got, I'm writing an article a little bit on this. I'll have out tomorrow as well for our, our Tuesday take. But, you know, one of the, uh, you know, things as I was talking about before, and again, this, this gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. And so I, you know, I apologize for that. But the bottom line is, is that we're technically not bailing out banks. Now, I just say the reason I say technically, of course, now the Fed is adamant we're not bailing out banks because in 2008, when we were bailing out the banks, we were protecting both the shareholders and the executives of the bank by providing facilities to do that. In this case, what the Fed says is no, this isn't a bailout because we're not protecting anybody other than the depositors. And so Maybe that's the case. But again, this does go back to something that we've talked about previously is and and it was in I was having an interesting discussion with my wife last night about this. Is that you know we have let me let me back up for a second. Going back to 2008, we passed Dodd-Frank, which put a lot of teeth into the government to control these systemically important banks to stop this 
problem from occurring again, right? And then as soon as we got out into 2009, 2010, we began to systematically dismantle Dodd-Frank, removing components of it that were onerous to banks that were impeding their ability to create profits, right? And this went all the way through the Obama administration and in the Trump administration, Trump really kind of drove the stake through the heart of Dodd-Frank with a deregulation of Dodd-Frank. Of course, this was all at the behest of Wall Street. Wall Street lobbied Congress, the Senate, and yes, the president signed it, but that bill had to be written. And so Wall Street lobbied successfully to defang Dodd-Frank, which was supposed to prevent exactly these situations. But as I said before, the, the problem is twofold. One is not requiring banks to adequately have enough reserve collateral on hand. Right? We are a fractional reserve banking system. There's nothing wrong with fractional reserve banking until you start leveraging things eight, nine, ten, or more times. And then you have an event that shows up. And that was what happened in 2008. We just had massive amounts of, of leverage sitting out for these banks. And of course, everything went topsy-turvy. You know, so the Fed starts hiking rates aggressively. And this is why we've been warning now for months that they're going to hike rates until they break something. And everybody's like, oh, everything's fine. You don't know until something happens. And now something has happened. And it is directly a function of the Fed hiking rates. The collateral wasn't bad collateral. It was mostly treasuries that was on the, on the books of Silicon Valley Bank. It's, it wasn't bad. They, had, they hadn't made a bunch of really bad loans. They hadn't been, you know, um, negligent in their activities. Silicon Valley Bank was an interesting situation because how does a, money, how does a bank make money? A, a regional bank. Okay, so again... When you start talking about the J.P. Morgans of the world, they have so much revenue that they create through investment banking, securities trading, that type of stuff. Retail, retail clients are actually a nuisance. They would prefer not to have them. They're more of a cost center than anything else. But regional banks don't have that. They have to make loans. Well, the interesting thing with Silicon Valley Bank is, is they had a bunch of really big, really big clients but the clients didn't need any loans because the clients were basically venture capital clients so in other words venture capital firms were funding these businesses and then those deposits of the funding were being held at silicon valley bank well the business didn't need a loan because they were getting venture capital so silicon valley bank sitting on these millions and millions and millions of dollars saying, well, I got to do something with this money. And so they went and bought bonds with it. Nothing wrong with that. Until the Fed hiked rates. As the Fed started hiking rates, the value of that collateral went down. 
And then somebody showed up and asked for money back. And then that's where the whole cascade began. And, and what happened was is a couple of things. Silicon Valley Bank tried to do a share offering that failed. They tried to do a bond offering. It, 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 just, it was a, a collusion of bad timing. But they just happened to be the first one to break. There's other banks out there that are also struggling. And we'll probably see some more potential issues if the Fed continues to hike rates. But this is where the rubber now meets the road. And, and again, the expectation now for further rate hikes is dropping rapidly. The March meeting is coming up on the 22nd, and there is a rising possibility the Fed will not hike rates. Because of what's happened. Because, again, the rate hikes are what causes. Now the Fed is having to, in, in conjunction with the Treasury, is coming out with this facility, which allows banks, again, if I've got $100 million worth of bonds at $0.85 cents on the dollar, I can pledge those at $0.100 cents of face value. So the Fed's taking them in at par value. And loaning the money to the banks. So if everybody shows up at the Brent Clanton Bank of Houston and everybody wants their money back, he can loan the money, he can put up the collateral to the Fed. The Fed will give him the collateral, the, the money, and he can make hold the depositors. Not technically a bailout, but it looks like a bailout, smells like a bailout. But this is another one of those issues where the Fed is now at that aha moment. And, and, this, is the, and this is the problem, right? This, and so this goes to the conversation I was having with my wife. If you are going to have an economic capitalistic system, you have to let capitalism work. There's not enough money in the FDIC to cover all the bank loans. So when you have money in a bank and it says, oh, this account is FDI insured up to $250,000, there is not enough money in the FDIC to cover Silicon Valley Bank, much less all the banks in the country that are FDIC insured. If there's ever a national run on the bank, which is what the Fed's trying to prevent right now, there is not enough money in the FDIC to cover depositors. Again, what the Fed counts on, what the Treasury counts on, what the banking system counts on is nobody pushing their big red button, and somebody did that with Silicon Valley Bank. But at some point, we've got to make a decision. Do we keep doing what we're doing, and every time that there's a problem in the banking system, we prop it up, bail it out, provide a facility? that allows the banks to continue doing what they're doing? Or at some point, do you just have to let these banks fail and then allow capitalism to work its magic? What would happen technically if, if a bank failed, right? The, the, the bank would, the depositors would be shifted to other banks, et cetera. If you have money in excess of the 
insurance, you're going to be at risk. So don't do that. That's why I like, I was saying with the, in our video over the weekend, I was talking about why I like brokerage firms better than banks for cash. Because brokerage firms have excess account coverage up to $100 million or more, in a lot of cases, for depositors. And the reason is, is that if Fidelity didn't have that excess account coverage, then nobody would keep $100 million in, in their Fidelity brokerage account, right? Too much risk. And, of course, Fidelity wants people with, with high net worth to have their money in their investment accounts, so they provide this additional coverage of $100 million or more per account on top of SIPC insurance. So there's options to better protect yourself. But at some point, we have got to reform the banking system and get leverage ratios back to a level where banks can support themselves and not need bailouts every time things go wrong. And again, what I find most interesting about all this is that if you'll remember, over the last few years, we've made multiple comments about this on the show. We keep hearing, we keep being told, it's like, oh... There's no 2008 issue here. Banks are well collateralized. Banks have plenty of collateral. There's no worries. We've reformed the whole banking system since 2008. But yet every time we get into a crisis of some sort, 2020 with the economic shutdown, or today, we keep having to bail out the banks in one form or another which means that probably they're not as well capitalized as everybody claims them to be. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show all right so let's switch gears here just a little bit to the markets and what's going on because of course with the kind of the breakdown with Silicon Valley Bank and now the Fed having to step in and I was saying before that rate hike odds are dropping pretty quickly now that the Fed is probably going to have to pivot this is not necessarily and as I've said before, you know, what, where, where, where the bulls go wrong is expecting the pivot to be bullish. The Fed doesn't pivot unless there is some type of event. And I've been writing this for the last couple of weeks in newsletters and articles on our website saying, look, if everything is fine, markets are going up, the economy's strong, employment's doing fine, the Fed may stop hiking rates, but they're not going to cut them because there's no reason to. That, that would be nirvana for the Fed to be able to just keep interest rates at 5% until you, until you someday have a recession again. 
And then they've got tons of room to cut interest rates to help support economic growth. So as long as nothing goes wrong, there's no reason for the Fed to pivot. The only reason the Fed would pivot and potentially start cutting rates is because they broke something. So on Friday, of course, the markets broke down. We not only broke the rising trend line from the October lows, but also we took out the 200-day moving average as well. Now, again, just because we did that on Friday, if the market recovers today and we get back above all that by the end of the week, then it was kind of a false breakdown, right? Markets will be fine. And the question is right now is how is the market responding to this? Now, NASDAQ futures right now are up about 100 points on the news that we're going to be bailing, you know, basically providing these bailout facilities. And so we'll see if this kind of feeds through to the market most of the day. First Republic Bank this morning is down 67%. They got downgraded by Raymond James Research this morning. A lot of banks are going to be under pressure. There's a tremendous number of banks that have very high loan ratios right now. And so we're likely going to see those banks under pressure on a regional side, especially banks with a lot of commercial real estate exposure. Those are going to be under pressure as well. But outside of that, outside of the banking sector, markets may do okay on this idea that now the Fed is pivoting. And we'll see how this feeds through, but there's risk to the markets for sure. And I think you've got to keep that in the back of your mind. I would still be using rallies here at this point to reduce risk until we figure out whether this Silicon Valley Bank issue is a one-off event or if this is the Bear Stearns moment for a bigger event. But this is just the first crack, right? This is just the first crack in that foundation of everything is fine as the Fed is hiking interest rates. And we've been talking about the risk of that for months now. And again, this is always the problem when you start talking about stuff too soon. You say, well, look, when, you, when the Fed hikes rates historically, you're going to break something and here's where you are. Well, if the Fed's hiking rates and nothing breaks, then everybody goes, well, it's different this time. And it's never different this time. It's just a function of till that shows up. You know, we talk about this lag effect of monetary policy. As the Fed is hiking rates, there's this lag effect. Each rate hike is creating pressure on the markets, but it takes time for that pressure to build to the point that it breaks something. So Silicon Valley Bank is simply just the initial recognition that the Fed has likely gone too far. It's the first recognition that lag effect has finally started catching up with the economy and the markets. That's why, you know, there's always this mistake by investors thinking that, well, it's different this time because it didn't happen immediately. So that's where we are. Now, how this plays out over the next few days, again, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a knee-jerk reaction this morning in risk assets. Again, this idea that, oh, the Fed's going to pivot. So historically, we look back every time the Fed starts bailing out stuff, markets go up. So let's buy stocks. I get that, right? That's the, that's the psychology. I wrote an article called Pavlov's Experiment a while back on our website talking about the impact 
of fed activities being very much like Pavlov's experiment with dogs. Ring the bell, dogs start to salivate. Fed adjusts policy, investors start to salivate, right? That's the ringing of the bell. This is the ringing of the bell this morning. Now, that doesn't mean that this is going to sustain itself. If there are more roaches in the kitchen, we may get broader concerns about economic and financial stability. Markets aren't going to like that. If the Fed does stop hiking rates, and maybe they will pause because of this as a concern, saying, hey, let's stop here and let's sort through this whole banking issue and make sure everything's okay, and then we'll hike rates more after that, that's very different than a rate cut. The Fed starts cutting rates, it's likely because they are far more concerned about a contagion risk within the banking sector. I think it's too early for the Fed to do that, so I don't expect them to start talking about rate cuts anytime soon. But them pausing rate hikes, certainly not off the table. So we're going to see. We're, we're going to see this. But again, markets certainly broke down on Friday. We need to pay attention to that. There is certainly risk in the markets now short term. That bullish trend that we had has been broken. There is support about where markets are sitting right now. So the market should be able to hold this level of support. And again, if we can rally back above the 200-day moving average in the next day or two, then that's a good sign. That will keep this kind of bullish rally going at the moment. Now, we did reduce exposure on Thursday and Friday simply because there's too much risk in the markets right now, and I just don't want to deal with it. I'll just we'll, we'll let this kind of sort itself out, and then we'll put an exposure back on if we need to. Or we'll take more off. But again, I think what you're going to see is a shift out of financials into technology. And the reason for that will be because of simply looking for companies that aren't related to the financial sector that have the ability to grow earnings. And that's going to be the issue. Value's been under a lot of pressure lately. We may see some rotation to value. But here's the interesting thing also, too, and I, I talked about this before, is that, you know, one of the reasons that we've been adamant about long-duration bonds saying that, you know, as the Fed hikes rates, are going to break something. And when the Fed breaks something, money's going to flow into risk-free assets, which is exactly what happened on Friday. We had bought bonds last Tuesday, and that worked out well, right? Um, because when money went flying in, looking for any place safe, it went into U.S. Treasuries. And that's why we keep harping on this idea that, you know, a lot of people are like, well, interest rates are going up. You know, it's like, yeah, but as soon as something breaks, you're, wanna, you're gonna wanna be in treasuries. And they had a huge day on Friday. Now, they're gonna pull back a little bit here. You know, get a little bit of money rotating back into risk today. That'll pull some of the, the, the bite out of treasuries today. But I would probably use that as an opportunity to add to treasury exposure at this point. You're clearly on a buy signal right now. And if risk is going to increase in markets and if Silicon Valley Bank is something more than just a one-off event, you're going to want to be long treasuries. But there's a lot of stuff here that's going on. And again, we've got to sort through this. And again, don't you don't want to make knee-jerk reactions based on one day's events. 
but there is certainly risk in the regional bank sector. And if you take a look at KRE, which is the regional bank ETF, has been absolutely devastated on Thursday and Friday. And again, this morning, we're seeing other banks that are pulling lower as well on concerns as who's next in that list of banks that may be shuttered by the FDIC. But again, this is very, there's a, there's a lot of similarities here. If you live through 2007, 2008, a lot of similarities. Back in 2008, we used to pull up a list of banks every day that were being shuttered, right? And looking for who was going to be next on the list. Now, I'm not saying that's the case today, but this just has a lot of that same type of feeling. When Bear Stearns first went under, then we started seeing other banks go under, getting shuttered by the FDIC, banks getting taken over, pensions getting taken over by the Pension Benefit uh, Guarantee Corporation. You know, those are the early warning signs. And again, I'm not sitting, I want to be really clear going into the break. I'm not saying that we just started the next financial crisis. So don't, don't run around and tell people Lance said, because Lance didn't say that. Lance says, this reminds me of Bear Stearns. It was that first shot across the bow. And everybody, everybody just looked at that time. was like, ah, it was a one-off event. In fact, markets ran to all-time highs right after Bear Stearns. But it wasn't a one-off event. It was the beginning of that financial breakdown. This is that first warning sign. Now, it may be nothing. It may be a one-off event. But I'm not willing to take that risk. I'd rather wait and find out. Because <laughs> I'm chicken that way. Be right back after the break. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show, of course, as uh, you're ready to wrap up today's edition. Heading into the markets this morning, um, Bitcoin's trading up a little bit. This morning, it was actually below 20,000 a couple of days ago. It's uh, 22,000 this morning. So risk assets getting a bit this morning. NASDAQ up a bit. S&P futures are pretty much flat. Dow's a smidge on the negative side. So again, it's not a really strong morning. Everybody's still trying to figure out what does this all mean? And I think that's one of the, you know, kind of the bigger issues. And as I was saying before, we just don't know what this all means yet. And we don't know if it's a one-off event or we don't know if it's a you know, bigger event. But, you know, there's $17 trillion of deposits. So it's not small, right? And, you know, but I, I want to clarify one thing. There's, I, I got a lot of emails over the weekend going, this is the 1930s. No, it's not the 1930s. Lots of differences in the banking system between now and the 1930s. In the 1930s, we didn't have... FDIC insurance, et cetera. 
and didn't really have the facilities in place to bail out banks. So when banks failed in mass, people just lost everything, right? Terrible. We don't want that to ever happen again. What and, and, and again, I am not against protecting depositors. What I'm against is repeatedly building structures at the behest of banks that allows greed to put depositors at risk. And we see this just kind of over and over and over again. We, we've, uh, and this began ever since, really, um, back in 1980, when Ronald Reagan came in, began to deregulate financial industries. And we've done more and more of that over time. And it spread from banks to pension funds, et cetera. You know, used to be pension funds could only invest in treasuries, as a good example. Now, that was a good thing. Because, see, there's a mathematical calculation between a pension and its obligations. So if Brent is a pensionee, he pays into the pension. And the pension says, okay, Brent, in 30 years when you retire, you're going to get this much money. And see, that was a very easy mathematical calculation when they could only invest in treasuries because there was no guessing. When I buy a bond at 100 cents on the dollar... I know it has a 5% coupon or whatever the coupon is. And I can mathematically calculate to the penny exactly how much money I will have in 30 years. So all I have to do is the mathematical calculation say, well, Brent's share of this pool is X. And in 30 years, I know exactly to the penny what that pool will be because it's all invested in, in U.S. Treasuries. So I can calculate the Y. So in 30 years, Brent's participation of Y value is going to be his payout. And every year, that fund is going to generate X amount of dollars. So I can, I can mathematically calculate exactly what Brent's payout is going to be for the next 50 years, right? It's easy. But pensions got greedy. And they saw all this money that was being made in the 80s and the 90s in the stock market, and they started lobbying Congress to allow them to start investing in securities. Well, there's no mathematical calculation for security prices. I can't, there's no guarantee of payment, right? It's just, I'm, I'm hoping that markets will go up over time. And so I just mathematically calculated, okay, if X value is the value of my pension fund that Brent owns, and I give it a 7% rate of annual return, then he's going to be worth this in 30 years, and I can, pay him, I can pay him that. The problem is they haven't gotten 7% a year. So all those mathematical calculations are completely entirely wrong, and this is the same problem with the banks. You know, when you're doing, as I said earlier, fractional reserve banking is fine. That's how our banking system works. There's, you know, a lot of people rail against, oh, it's fractional reserve banking. Well, that's how banks work. They have to be able to take in a deposit and they have to be able to loan out that deposit. That's how they make money. It's also what keeps the economy going, right? They loan money to small businesses, et cetera, so forth and so on. And they borrow money. They pay interest. It's all fine as long as nobody pushes the big red button. But there should be a, there needs to be, I shouldn't say there should be, there needs to be 
more strict requirements on capital reserves and a bigger focus on protecting depositors at the expense of bank profitability. And I know a lot of bankers are going to really disagree with me on this, but that's okay. There's a point to where the drive for profits puts depositors in danger. And we see this over and over again. Saw it back in 2008. I'm not, and by the way, I'm not saying every bank does this. I'm not saying that every institution does this. I'm not saying that all. As Silicon Valley Bank did nothing wrong. They had a very unique situation in terms of they had very big clients that didn't need loans. Because they were getting all this venture capital funding. And so, again, maybe it's a one-off situation. We'll see. But this does bring up, bring, you know, this brings us back to the same point, though, that I think we have to make a serious or take a serious look at our banking regulations, capital requirements. You know, we removed mark-to-mark accounting after 2008, which allowed banks not to mark things at market value. So they could basically have an asset at 80 cents on a dollar and market at face value. So, you know, that was helping provide capital. It was kind of a phantom capital to the bank balance sheet because they didn't have to show these assets at sub values. So it provided better, a better look for banks than maybe they actually were. So, you know, I think, but you know, when we go through this repeatedly, and we're having to bail out companies or banks, whatever. Every time there's a crisis event of some sort, 2008, 2020, we've got to bail out Boeing and Norwegian Cruise Lines and, you know, everybody else. And now the Fed hikes rates. And we warned you, hey, they're going to hike rates. So they break something, they broke something, and now we're having to set up a facility to try to take care of this problem. And again, right now, yes, it's not a bailout yet. But when does it become a bailout? What's the next leg of this? When the next shoe falls, whatever that shoe is, remember there's 475 basis points of rate hikes in the system that haven't even shown up yet. So as all those rate hikes continue to impact individuals, the year-over-year delinquency rates on consumer loans are spiking right now. I've got an article coming out on this next week. But, again, when depositors can't get access to the money or when borrowers can't pay their loans, that's more problems for the bank. Now the interest income that they were depending on from the loans they made to people isn't coming in because they're defaulting on their loans, which means they can't meet the demand of depositors. So that's just the next shoe. Right, wherever that is. I don't know where that is or if it even happens, but that's the next worry. And right, and again, when you look at the year over year default rates, those are starting to rise and rise pretty sharply. Used cars, et cetera. So, again, you know, the point is, is, is that I, I think we just need to be aware until these, this, Sorts it out. I, I would not be jumping into the markets going, this is the pivot, time to bar- start buying stocks. I'm not sure that's the case. Historically, when the Fed starts having to slash rates, it's usually in response to something going on. 
So we'll see. We'll see. It's, it's, it's early, so let's not go make a lot of rash decisions, but I do think it's something that regulators need to come back and start looking at how we regulate banks, the leeway that we give them. You know, between the 1930s and 2007, I'll have to go back and look, but I can't remember a period where we were having to set up special facilities and do types of bailouts for banks, et cetera, until after 2000. So maybe we need to start thinking about how we used to regulate banks and maybe rethink our financial system to make it stronger for not only the benefit of the depositor and the consumer, but also for the benefit of the economy and the financial markets itself. Of course, banks won't be nearly as profitable, so that won't be fun. But the financial system would be safer, maybe. Again, I'm just rambling here. We'll see. Anyway, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest newsletter is out. I'll have a blog on on kind of where we are with this. Uh, I'm working on it today. I want to see how the markets open up. I'll have something for you tomorrow on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. So make sure you're subscribed there. Also, our daily market commentary is out. We have a few notes on Silicon Valley Bank this morning and our daily market commentary, as well as the market outlook. That's all in that. That's on the website now. Simply go to the website. We've put a new link on the page. If you click on the Insights tab at the top, you'll see a link directly to the Daily Market Commentary. While you're there, you can also subscribe to have it emailed to you every single morning. But it's right there on the homepage of the website as well. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow.